Hello everyone, Stavros Yanuka here with another episode of Wise Words. Uh, today's guest is Yao Zhang, the founder and CEO of Roboterra, a Silicon Valley venture that has designed and developed a curriculum for teaching robotics and coding through a tiered learning by doing approach. Before founding Roboterra, Yao co-founded Minds Abroad, a company that offered student relationship management software and curriculum solutions to North American and European universities uh, to enable them to improve their study abroad programs. Uh, so she's something of a serial uh, entrepreneur. Yao has a master's and PhD in edu education economics from Columbia University, uh, and her research interests include computational models for assessment and the use of big data in education. Um, Yao is a native of China, and amongst the many accolades, she counts membership of the Mathematics Olympic team. Um, our conversation was recorded in New Delhi earlier this year on the margins of the Rosina Dialogue, where we were both uh, in attendance. Uh, we spoke at length about her experience of the Chinese schooling system, her journey as an education entrepreneur, and her personal philosophy about education. What we didn't talk enough about was robotics and artificial intelligence and their potential impact on education. So those of you hoping for a deep exploration of these topics during this podcast, I'm, I'm really sorry um, to disappoint. However, the good news is that we will remedy that uh, pretty soon. Um, later this month, on the 21st of April, Yao and her team will be hosting the Curiosity Conference uh, at the Computer History Museum in Silicon Valley. Uh, the Curiosity Conference is billed as the world's first education and artificial intelligence conference hosted in Silicon Valley. Uh, the theme of the conference is human-centered, human-driven, uh, and participants will explore the likely impact of AI on education, and more importantly, from my point of view, the ways in which AI can be harnessed usefully in the service of, of education. Um, I'll be attending and speaking there, um, and I'm hoping to, uh, to meet uh, thinkers and doers from uh, the fields of, of education, AI, cognitive science, and uh, learning technology. I think this is a very much needed event in the education space, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to being there, uh, and more importantly, to learning from, um, uh, from the many uh, speakers and participants who will, uh, who will be uh, in attendance. Uh, we're planning a series of podcasts from there, and so hopefully we'll be able to share some of the key insights uh, with you um, later on uh, in the year. With that, I bring you Yao Zhang. Yao Zhang, welcome to Wise Words. Thank you. My uh, pleasure. Yao, before we get into the, the substance of our conversation, I think it would be interesting for our listeners to hear from you a little bit about your uh, very interesting backstory. Oh, um, yes, I definitely always feel very fortunate of um, you know, all the things that uh, happened in life and then brought me essentially to, uh, to do what I'm, uh, I'm doing to this date. So I, uh, I was born in China uh, right after the Chinese uh, uh, economic reform, um, early 80s, 1983, um, and uh, growing up in China, finished college, 
um, very fortunately that uh, my parents, grandparents, they all emphasize that value of education a lot. So they always try to put us to the best schools and also uh, also got, um, you know, just had the, the, the best teachers who understand the values of, you know, uh, encouraging students into uh, exploratory uh, learning, hands-on, and all those, you know, today, uh, the, the, the good style of, of educating children. So with those good impact from both uh, parents and also uh, also schools, uh, was I was able to just, uh, uh, you know, continuous attending the, the best schools, which gave me great opportunities later on. Um, and um, and then um, I was always, a, like a, I guess, a, a math a nerd or, or geek at school, uh, although I'm also I was also very active in all extracurricular activities, even including you know like soccer and ping pong and all the sports things. But uh, being a maker, being a very early you know uh, very interested at early age in uh, coding, thanks to my mom's printing business, you know with computers at home, uh, you know like in the late 80s already. So through school, I was spending a lot of time uh, studying uh, math and being uh, on the math and science Olympiad track. China has adopted the old Soviet uh, system of you know, training, picking up students to prepare them early for mm -hmm. the Olympiad, you know, international competitions. So I uh, was on the, you know, the school team and later on city team, province team, and then uh, math and physics was uh, taken into the, 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 uh, the national team as well. Um, so all the way to college, and then um, uh, and then in college, uh, uh, majored in um, uh, corporate finance, uh, applied econ, uh, but still spending a lot of time uh, on math, and then uh, led my school team did the very first. Uh, I mean, my school's. Um, international uh, you know first international uh, math modeling competition uh, won a gold medal in that and then that helped me got into Colombia so uh, that's basically uh, life uh, before the US in China and then when I got to Colombia so starting in the US um, the now looking back is 12 years uh, today so um, uh, in the in the economics and education program at Columbia University, um, and then um, started a, a company, educational software company, uh, during those years, and then worked at McKinsey and also uh, Soros Foundation, Edison Learning, uh, you know, education management, um, and then uh, worked with the VC a little bit after my first company is doing, you know, very fortunately taking off, uh, and then that's all the experiences prepared me actually to uh, before Roboterra. That's right, and, and yeah. now you, you lead a, a Silicon Valley uh, a company yes. that's uh, mm -hmm. trying to introduce robotics into uh, into education. Yes, so uh, Roboterra um, in a month is going to be four years. Wow. Uh, yes, time flies. And uh, um, so we started literally from my garage in Silicon Valley, uh, Mountain View. And um, we started uh, from three co-founders, um, and uh, we so so the early idea is really seeing the trend of IoT, the you know the, uh, the IoT. Oh yeah, for those who it, are not oh yes familiar so with the um, Internet of Things. Okay. Um, yeah. Really, the sensors and hardwares, all sorts of uh, smart devices happening or becoming products in people's life, um, because there was this technological trend uh, allowed uh, just uh, the variety of IoT products happening. Um, 
because of the development in laser cutting uh, technology, uh, in um, in uh, 3D printing, which helped all the you know people who were before only working on software development or product development uh, with those technologies. They're also able to design yep. and uh, launch hardware products. Yep. So that was really the, 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 the tech background during that time through 2013. And then while I was working for this VC firm, uh, looking at education technology uh, um, developments, I, uh, you know, still, because my focus and passion is really um, to see what are the new ways of uh, using technology to help children learn better. Um, because you know theoretically uh, there are uh, you know uh, hands-on and then um, many other uh, theories supporting uh, better or effective learning um, yeah. to, to use actively different, different uh, you know uh, parts of mind yeah so, so basically it's really uh, the you know the passion understanding of how to do education technology better and then seeing the development in IOT and then it, it's a, it's a natural combination of my previous uh, education software experience with the hardware um, mm. component and then together that uh, what that was the, the the foundation of Roboterra's idea idea um, introducing robotics into uh, into uh, the learning tech space. Before we get into that, because I, I do want to talk about robotics, artificial intelligence, and, and, and your ideas about how these are impacting and, and are likely to impact uh, education. But before we go there, there's a couple of things that I find you know very intriguing and interesting about about your background that I, that I think it, it may benefit our, our listeners if we were to elaborate a little bit more on I mean, the first thing is the fact that you, you know, you, you grew up and your, your uh, very early education, uh, well, actually not very early, a large part of your education yeah. um, took place in China. In Turkey to 12, uh, yeah. K to 16, actually. K to 16 yeah. uh, took place in China. And as, as you say, you know, there, there's part of a, I mean, you're a beneficiary of, of, of some of the, I would say, positive aspects mm-hmm. of uh, the, the Soviet uh, educational legacy which mm-hmm. is or soviet inspired educational legacy which is you know this idea of the identification of mm-hmm. of 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 you know talent mm-hmm. and and really you know um uh, enabling that talent to um you know to be developed at olympic levels mm-hmm. <laughs> of uh, of of competence um Share a little bit more about about that experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, was it? Am I assuming? It, I assume it was positive, mm-hmm. but were there negative sides to it? What you know? What what was your overall feeling? If you can, you know, go back mm-hmm. to to your uh, you know uh, mm-hmm. early uh, teenage years, maybe. What was it uh-huh. like to be in this mm-hmm. in this sort of uh, uh, you know uh, Olympiad type uh, environment? Yeah. Um, so um, I definitely consider myself again very fortunate to uh, to to be able to to benefit from that very very competitive and very selective process. Um, so you know, especially now working in education and then caring about the overall development of you know all children, and then I definitely would think any systems would you know th- have to serve certain selection uh, selection functions in you know uh, any educational systems. So uh, my personal experience through you know the the K to twelve experience through uh, the Chinese education system, I would say um, the y- well I benefit a lot. I mean, I was. B- 
I'm the oldest of a family of four children. I have two younger sisters and then one baby brother. So um, even you know us growing into the same family, you know parents cares a lot about education, but we are developing actually quite differently. So I would say, even just looking at my personal experience and my siblings' schooling experiences, we actually had quite different. Um, results from that same system, right? So uh, while I benefit a lot, I got a lot of uh, you know the resources. Was always placed into the best um, classes, the Olympiad classes, where there are the best teachers are matched for those classes to make sure the kids in those classes are you know, really developing fast and well. Um, you know, my my other siblings in more of the the, the normal track or who probably are not doing the best in a more teacher-oriented, traditional pedagogical, you know, style, they can feel left behind if, you know, for example, if uh, one of my sisters, she sometimes would have troubles in some math classes, but uh, I guess the, the traditional way is just really not good, you know, not not having the best for, for her own development. So, so not good at picking up your people who are perhaps struggling a little bit, you know, right, and, yeah. and helping bring them up to, right, to yeah, the required so, level. Yes, so it's really just comparing me, uh, my, and also my, my sister, you know, this sister's um, experience from the same schools that we're in. Um, I would say that um, that system can help, for example, the uh, you know, like the, uh, students with certain strengths and then also who are very good with exams, mm -hmm. right, can do very well and then place us into always the good schooling um, and results. But uh, it can, well, it also aims to, to make sure, you know, all the kids are, you know, pass certain thresholds through the, the, the tests, the, the, the studying for tests. Um, but uh, it's definitely not a, an in, you know, not good for individu uh, individualized learning. Um, yeah. It's just not structured in that way. <coughs> um, yeah, so, so, so that's one aspect uh, of that. The other uh, aspect, um, I, thi I think what's interesting is that uh, there's so many reforms uh, reforms happening in the Chinese education system as yes. well. Actually, you know, it's really, you know, like about my age. So, yeah, so, 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 so in China, people tend to look at the recent uh, millennial uh, ages, I guess, to, to three parts. One are for people who are born before the 80s. So for them, um, basically, you finish college, there will be a job for you. That was called, it's it's like part of the planned economy. The, the social compact, if you will, yes. of, of the time. Yeah. yeah. So that's kids before my age. And then for, you know, basic students around my age, and then when we got to college, that's the years when the college entrance exam being reformed, there are even more competitions introduced, and also the central government or the government does not assign jobs for college graduates anymore, which means the higher education sector is, is, is um, marketized, you know, like became a market economy for the college graduates. So market uh, competitions introduced in, supposedly that would encourage further, you know, competition of the talents, talents have to work hard and all that. But I mean, of course, the, the, uh, so, 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 so there should be all those positive effects. And I, again, I believe I benefit, uh, you know, yeah. from that. But at the same time, there are also many, many other students who, you know, went to uh, like uh, some not the top 
university and then who just end up of couldn't find a good yeah. you know, well enough job so the return of uh, to their uh, higher education is not that good so those are the yeah. things all happening at the same same time for you know yeah. for my generation and then um, so um, yeah th that's the second comment because so I, just uh, just yeah. to come in here a little bit yeah. I mean I think what, what you're highlighting is in what a lot of people perhaps outside China don't don't fully appreciate is that China now has a graduate unemployment, underemployment challenge. Uh -huh. Not dissimilar to that faced by a number of, of, of developed economies. Yeah, well, yes, it's actually a large numbers, you know, if we just think about the quantity. So, uh, so, so China, uh, you know, talking about that very specific, uh, you know, higher education reform, uh, that was about uh, that was about 15 years ago. So uh, 2012, for college students graduate from that year, um, because the country doesn't assign jobs anymore, so the enrollment, uh, you know, I mean, so so there, so the enrollment became more competitive. So the number of enrollment actually increased. Uh, starting from that year, uh, each year uh, the annual college enrollment is about five or six million and this year is about nine million and then staggering numbers yes and not just yeah. so so imagine when uh you know when so imagine for a year before the year college graduates is only 1.5 million after the year just new enrollment is six million how can that many jobs being created right but because of that the society will know oh we're going to have a lot of new high quality college graduates so employer can start to plan ahead of how you want to upgrade your you know your workforce with actually being able to hire comparatively low cost but actually well educated yeah. you know labor force so that's really the meaning i think of the reforms of chinese economy in many ways especially when we look at the you know labor market quality right it's really it matters to every individual you know through that time and that thing i want to mention you know it is actually the they um I think the mindset of reforms as well. So people's, you know, families' uh, mindset about uh, what to expect after college education, you know, in terms of uh, investment return changed as well. So people yeah. know you just have to work hard. You have to understand, uh, you know, what are the opportunities in the job market so that you have to prepare for that instead of waiting to be assigned for a job, yeah. which is more of the plan economy, right? So so I think that might change, mindset change is very important because that opened up people's mind about educational choices. Yep. Yeah, so, um, and then me going to study in the US for grad school is naturally a part of the my personal education choices that I make for myself. Yeah, and you took a path that many, you know, very talented people from China as well as uh, from India and elsewhere in, in Asia, uh, took, which is to to then head to the U.S., uh, and then you you took your you know your your academic um, career, if you will, all the way to the to the to the very top, which is you you know you have a Ph.D. in uh, economics and and, and finance, and education, uh, education and yeah. education. Economics okay, education. It's applied economics and education. Yeah. So because you, you know, obviously you invested a lot of time yeah. and effort and energy in in education, and then you made that switch to entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Uh, gradual, but nonetheless quite, mm -hmm. quite. Uh, how did you sort of reason through that decision? What what motivated you to? I don't say abandon your academic uh, uh, career, but you know what? What you're in a very different space right now. I I would argue. Yeah, uh, indeed, indeed. Um, but um, um, you know, Stavos, uh, I think um, 
along the way, I mean, all the way through my uh, you know, college education, you know, college choice, and then grad school choice in terms of the the program I was doing, and then um, you know the different career options along the way. Um, Again, I, I just think, you know, in terms of like where I am in history of being a Chinese person, you know, born in early 80s and growing up in China and then attending school in the U.S. and then, and then you know, uh, standing sort of like with understanding of both the global market and also the, the, this booming Chinese market gave, I think, gave me the, 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 the confidence of just decide to pursue what's really truly calling for me so yeah so i mean so 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 and then i'll use, uh, use examples to, to 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 explain in details you know wh what that means to answer your question as well so um yes uh, you know so, so i guess for example right and before people of my age you know in china that when they finish college there'll be a job assigned to them so they probably yeah. just accepted that instead okay. of instead of asking themselves what do i really want to do with my own life and then, um, and then for you know, and then many other students, you know, together with me, that we got to the U.S. And then there were still, I mean, so there was this American dream, right, for students from the developing countries, China, India, and other parts of the world, and then wanted to, you know, finish uh, school and get a great, a great degree, get a great job, and highly paid, and then, and then establish in the U.S. Um, so that was, you know. Basically, generations before me, including my aunt's generation, who also, you know, uh, like finished uh, school in China and went to U.S., got their Ph.D. and then staying there. So um, for them, staying, you know, trying their best to stay in the U.S., have a career there is a better is a better option than actually returning Going back, to, back China to China. Or yeah, yes. at the time, at yeah. Least. So so, so yeah. that was like the mindset already. So for me, it seems that, that you know, when I go to the U.S., it's really um, so I basically choose to take the, the, the scholarship offer from Columbia uh, over a job offer I already got from one of the top uh, uh, international uh, investment bank. Um, so uh, you know, in when I was about to graduate, I interviewed with those places as well because my undergrad is one. Uh, it's like the London School uh, I I is, uh, Economics in China, Central University yeah. of Finance and Economics. So yeah, so there were those top consulting and also uh, iBanks recruiting students. You know, I went through the interviews as well, uh, and then the yeah, it's it's basically really the the best global pay. So I choose to go, uh, uh, you know, continue my graduate school uh, education in the U.S. over yep. this one. But really, knowing that, um, seeing that I'm able to actually compete on a global level for the best jobs that I can get. But when there is a chance that I wanted to pursue, uh, you know, uh, my my I uh, intellectual uh, quests or 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 uh, academic request uh, inquiries, which is really uh, through the training of college, um, this one question is, uh, you know, being a, a student in economics is really, where does economic growth come from? Because we're living through China's fast development. Yeah. And we are seeing there are all sorts of issues in this society's fast development, yeah. right? And then, of course, there are different explanations from our, the, the you know, the Chinese economic textbooks. There are also the Western uh, economic textbooks. And then comparing those different uh, ideological systems. So there were those questions not answered in, in, in that school system. Have, have you, do you have an answer in, in a sense? Because, um, cause I, I mean, I can see, I can see why that, that question is, is, is fascinating. I would, I would, 
I mean, I would qualify. I think one of the, the big issues that's facing our world now is can economic growth be sustained? A big question. Um, I think I can definitely say this. Um, Today, I'm an, you know, I've been an entrepreneur, built two companies, um, and then I basically used my action to, uh, to, to, to choose, uh, to you know, use technology to be the way how I, um, how I uh, want to have an impact in the world to, you know, th that leads to the change that I want to see. Um, so, uh, so, so I guess, you know, th that's just um, my answer in my actions. Um, but, uh, you know, to, 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 to if to verbally answer that question a little bit more is um, there is still a, a pursuit of answer through the, the doctor training especially. Yes. So, yeah, I really want to understand, <coughs> so where does economic growth come from? And then which there are those neural, you know, uh, neural, uh, I mean, uh, Neil, uh, classical uh, growth theories, really looking at the 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 uh, impact of capital, including machines and you know yeah, foreign investment, and looking at human capital, and that which are married by different ways of uh, uh, of education, right? Yep. Different aspects. There are average schooling. There are the quality of schooling, and then the the amount of public investment into education, and then or you know the percentage of. Uh, 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 you know, a primary, middle school, and tertiary uh, education impact on economic development. So, really looking at all these um, uh, uh, macro data, and then one thing just emerged or revealed itself in front of me is this belief: is that um, yes, there are different social uh, uh, institutions across you know d different nations, um, and um, and China is very different, right? Well, the, the government is using a different way to to manage the country for you know for social governance and then um, and, and you know based on the different uh, 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 I mean social and, and philosophical system than the Western economic and political system um, however I what I see is that the pursuit of happiness and growth is the same and which is it's authentically the same so um, because of that and then looking at, so, so I, I had this uh, d different type of insights about to really understand what really happened in the Chinese economic reform or, or miracle was, it's, it's really, you know, if we look at how Shenzhen developed, because my mom actually also left her university job, became an entrepreneur you know, in publishing and uh, you know, education textbook and all that. I mean, that, uh, of course, naturally has an impact on, on my development uh, as well. But uh, you know, really just looking, you know, looking at family history of who actually became the entrepreneurs and growing companies and jobs and how they work, how they do deals, and where are the opportunities are, and then and then which regions in China is developing faster. Uh, so, so really just with all those anecdotes and then form the deeper understanding of who those people are, what's really driving their work and innovation and dedication to, you know, to, 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 like, to things they're doing, I see it's entrepreneurship. It's okay. the pursuit of happiness and you know, just trying to come I, up with a new solution. Is it the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of profit? Or both? Uh, my personal philosophy is that I think for every individual, the fundamental pursuit is for happiness. For happiness, which, uh, yes, there is a Maslow 
pyramid of mm-hmm. different layers of course, where you are solving yeah. problems, you know, one after another. And then there are different ways or different means to realize how you realize, you know, pursue your happiness. And there are people have different understanding or levels of understanding of the nature of that. There are also scientific studies about what really determining one's happiness level. But um, but I think for many if you use economic terms, right, for many players in, in an economy or many households, um, so the fundamental economies of societies is still, um, you know, household decisions about, uh, you know, about um, really just number of children, type of jobs, uh, you know, incomes, region you want to live, and then how you spend your time on work and life and all that. So, so that's why... Um, if a, if a society really fundamentally supports households to have enough opportunities to explore the economic yep. opportunities for them, I think that's where the you know um, so individual and also uh, households um, ability to uh, you know to 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 start small businesses and then do business with each other and make sound enough economic decisions, including actually education investment to their children mm. and then which will lead to you know regional development and then national development so okay so I mean I don't I don't want to downplay the yeah. the you know the 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 impact that entrepreneurship does have mm-hmm. in stimulating and, and sustaining uh, economic growth on the contrary I think there's you know th- there's evidence to to suggest that it is indeed a, an important engine mm-hmm. um, I, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to get at and and maybe you know, you can reflect a little bit on this is to, to what extent does your academic training made you has it made you a better entrepreneur, I guess, is, is my question. How how did you, you know, arrive at the decision to pursue entrepreneurship yeah. um, rather than, say, you know, continuing in a more academic setting? Yes. Um, the um, the impact is actually very direct. So um, uh I, I think my, my, my startup experience, w- uh, there, you know, so far there, there are two stages of it. Uh, stage one, uh, so because Robotar has been my second company that I'm the founder and then you know, invited uh, co-founders and team members later on. So before Robotar, I got the chance to be uh, one of the three co-founders of a company called Minds Abroad. Uh, my co-founders are uh, Columbia alum as well, who had several years of, uh, you know, several more years of working experiences, uh, y- you know, globally. And then they also they're both Americans, but they, o- they both worked in China and then understand, uh, you know, the, the the role of technology in education, but also connect, you know, combining the the market potential of uh, you know China and U.S. and you know even talents in India. And so so that was uh, the, the base uh, for this first. Uh, uh, education software company. Um, so, um, so, 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 what led me to join that team uh, as the in the first startup experience was directly from grad school. When I was, you know, um, so after studying um, the uh, PhD level uh, micro and and macro uh, and uh, growth theory, and that uh, no seeing that. Uh, um, Basically, innovation, entrepreneurship plays such an important role in determining the level of this, you know, again, in economic terms, this economic, I mean, this technological coefficient that determines mm. how fast a society will grow. Um, so, um, so, so seeing that, I started to, you know, I mean, I, I, 
actually choose to work with uh, the professors on several um, education, uh, I mean, uh, innovation in education kind of project, research projects. And then that, that led me to look at all the different um, uh, tech, uh, ad tech companies and the innovations and then that led me to you know uh, for example to explore um, conferences in this space and then uh, and then started to to, to get involved with um, with um, education entrepreneurship uh, in some way so that eventually led me to to join this startup team um, and then you know uh, from there I had again experience directly of working actually building teams in uh, you know both India and also China and also in the US and then uh, serving um, mm. uh, just uh, um, um, clients uh, globally so uh, that all together prepared me to um, you know to launch Roboterra but with a deep understanding uh, of uh, you know again from academic training knowing that um, um, so um, educational you know I mean, educational market is a very good market because um, you know public uh, uh, public investment or private investment, the uh, it's it's large, and yep. at the same time, it's a sector with a lot of uh, issues and, and and stagnancy needs better solutions. And uh, you know, just just theoretically, you can look at many ways how to improve the the efficiency, equity, and you know, I mean, equity and even accessibility issues, which. Basically, really means if you have a good technology, if you can figure out a way how you bring in efficiency in learning, uh, different you know different aspects of learning, uh, teachers' quality, enrollment management, classroom management, um, you know student learning and all that, then you are bringing efficiency to the sector. Then you solve a good problem in a good way, and then you can be successful. So yep. th all those understandings are from the academic training, and then prepared me to uh, to really okay. uh, being able to work in this space. Yeah, w would you would you encourage? Because again, you know, the, in the, in the popular imagination, you know, the the entrepreneur, the quintessential entrepreneur, you know, whether it's, you know, it's Bill Gates or or uh, Steve Jobs, is is the college dropout, right? You're you're almost the antithesis of that, right? <laughs> um, I well, different uh, different entrepreneurs are uh, are you know made through different uh, life paths, I guess. First. First, I have an opinion that I don't think entrepreneurship can be taught. Mm. Um, it, but it needs education. Uh, what do I mean is that um, you know, whether it's entrepreneurship or it's you know knowing uh, it's, it's one knowing what he or she really want to do and being able to identify, uh, ask a question, identify the issue and also the solutions and also identify all the necessary information and process information form a good solution and then bring a plan into reality you know which in other words is good execution management skills all these are different aspects of actually intelligence and needs development through schooling through work through in many mm -hmm. ways of one's development so um, you know so because of that I don't think I mean, there's definitely no causal uh you know th there's, there's no ca causality that if you drop out from college and then you'll be successful no, uh, well you know. clearly not <laughs> right so, yeah. <laughs> yeah so de yeah so so so, so yeah. that's the first opinion um yeah so um but at the same time uh, i mean i definitely think still you know so so schooling or you know specific college is very important for many people's lifelong um development 
there are always a higher lifelong income level, you know, uh, even yeah. um, other um, uh, um, a human capital aspect uh, in terms, you know, if m even married by by health status, marriage status, and all that linked directly with uh, college education. Yeah. So you know, so actually, for that's why for policymakers, you know, and um, and all of us, we we want to encourage children to you know work hard finish high school get into a college and then get get a good yeah. college education but in terms of entrepreneurship i think yeah, it's more of a i mean it has to come from um critical thinking ability of knowing why you want to do what you want to do do you really mm -hmm. know it and uh, if you saw the issue that you have to solve and yeah. you have a good solution and then go for it yeah, yeah. no i i agree with you i mean i think entrepreneurship is is ultimately an experiential area of knowledge shall we say mm -hmm. Um, so I agree that it, it you know, it, it probably can't be taught in a classroom, but as you say, it benefits from, you know, certain skills, mindsets, uh, and, and even, you know, even, you know, understanding that comes from, you know, research and, and deep knowledge, yeah. um, these, these certainly help, mm -hmm. but the act of being an entrepreneur yeah. requires you to, to do, um, you know, ultimately. So, yes. I mean, maybe it's that's that's kind of stating stating the obvious. Mm -hmm. um, let's let's talk a little bit more about another thing that I find quite distinctive about you is that you're a woman in Silicon Valley, and perhaps that shouldn't be uh, distinctive, but just generally from from what I've been reading and and uh, observing, there's now this big debate happening, at least in the U.S., around the um, the, the scarcity of you know successful women in mm -hmm. in silicon valley and more broadly yeah. women in stem mm -hmm. so i'd yeah. love to hear your thoughts about this and and you know if, if you're comfortable share your experience yeah um indeed um indeed you know it's uh, it, it's a fact that uh, you know uh, being a woman in tech in silicon valley or other parts of the world is still you know like a phenomenon that we can point out or because it's you know it's it's not I mean, it's just not the same ratio as for men. So if you look at the data, um, uh, in both um, US and China and many other, you know, uh, many other uh, regions in, in the world, we've been, you know, in the past 20 years, we've been seeing um, girls are doing um, better and, uh, you know, in, in the K-12 and, you know, for example, high school enrollment, and high school graduation rate, even faring better than boys um, through college graduation rate as well. However, at the same time, what we're seeing is uh, the, the gender, uh, there's a gender uh, imbalance in, uh, or, um, in, um, in the STEM field for women, and then uh, which is, uh, you know, if we look at the US data, it's less than 30%, and then if we look at, uh, uh, you know, women in uh, uh, engineering positions in the, in, the, you know, in the tech sector in Silicon Valley, that's 25% women compared to you know some uh, you know um, all the other are, are men and then of course there are even much less for women in management roles you know in those companies um, so that that was reality um, and uh, well um, you know many of us and, and as a society together we we realized this is leading to issues such as um, salary um, inequality uh, you know gender bias in that and even uh, some other you know Big concerns today, like uh, biases or, or ethical, you know, uh, issues in technologies like AI that's changing everything. But uh, because algorithms were developed by 
you know, uh, majority actually uh, male software engineers who would have certain uh, way of, uh, you know, um, understanding data or even constructing their algorithms, which which will you know, lead to certain issues in the products, ba you know, based on those AI algorithms. Um, can Can you give me an example? Because it, yes. it, it, it it's not intuitive that mm -hmm. that you know a man would mm -hmm. write an algorithm differently mm -hmm. from from. So so if you can elaborate, I'd I'd love to so get a bit more specific on yes, that. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So um, so the biases can yeah. So biases would exist in algorithms and then led to issues you know with tech products and then one example uh, that i can come up right away is being a more of a, for example like a racial bias there were um, you know smart watches before right smart watches or even uh, yeah smart watches that uh, there are sensors reading data from skin and uh, you know basically color changes when uh, of a blood flow and then which uh, you know mirrors your your uh, your biometric information um, and then um, actually, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, people with different skin color at, you know, in the society or global market is, you know, of course there are a percentage of each type of skin color. So supposedly a, a product, you know, a good product development should have considered the different ratio of skin color. And then mm -hmm. because that will directly translate into the parameters that will be chosen for those, uh, uh, you know, for defining those sensors. But uh, those things are totally left out. So s people with dark skin colors, basically, those things are just not working for them at all. And then in developers are even not realizing why, because a lot of uh, the, the products in early days, they were just developed by uh, maybe Caucasian or light skin colored male, uh, uh, I mean, uh, engineers. And yeah. then um, so, so similarly, uh, you know, for example, in um, some of the, uh, the, the financial management apps, or some of the you know the health management apps, if the the engineers developing those products or, you know apps are uh, you know mainly male or only male, and then women's ideas are not uh, considered into this, then the design of those products might just miss what actually works or what's actually needed for mm. the female uh, user group. So those are where, um, you know, uh, in product design, in uh, algorithm design, which is part of the product design, product management, um, actually can be heavily affected uh, due to uh, gender uh, imbalance or even, you know, uh, other uh, biases in, uh, you know, uh, the in, in uh, racial factors and all that. So, yeah, so, so look back to, to you know, again, to, to answer your, your question of uh, being a woman entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. So there's a fact, but I think there is a trend as well, uh, which is uh, now uh, the society together. So there are a lot of, lots of initiatives, even you know, the many ones um, uh, uh, started and run, uh, encouraged by, by WISE as well, um, to really encourage um, schools and society and policymakers to think how together we can make more inclusive uh, policies and also programs to encourage girls into uh, STEM. Or step one is not to discourage them and um, by you know somewhere somehow implement the wrong concepts to their minds, thinking that oh, math is a boy thing. I'm a girl, so I'm I'm not supposed for that. Thanks to my parents that they you know I was able to always think oh because I'm good at math, so I would do this and that. I never had a thought of oh because I'm a girl, so I should not have done this. So I think that you know without yeah. this this gender block is very important in mind. Just just on on that point, what is the situation in in China? I mean, is the gender split 
-hmm. as pronounced in China as it is in in the U.S. Yeah, um, I think China has an interesting uh, gender situation as well. Um, so two big uh, trends. One is um, there were actually several uh, 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 sociological and also economic studies supporting that um, Thanks to the, the the half sky movement, you know, after the the, the Chinese uh, government, you know, I mean, the, the, the uh, uh, was founded in 1949 by Chairman Mao, there was this half sky movement encouraging women to 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 take or similar num same number of women in all professions as <laughs> what men's doing. So there was such a movement which greatly uh, liberated women's and encouraged them in all sorts of labor participations that built the foundation of uh, equal labor participation of for all genders. So I think my my mom's uh, you know, definitely benefit from that. So that's how she became a, a really uh, like a very, very bold entrepreneur uh, without you know big, uh, for example, like gender uh, blocks on her mind. So she's able to do that. However, uh, in recent uh, five years, um, we're also seeing that um, we're also seeing that um, it seems that there's a reversed, you know, or trend going back, back. Mm. that the gender issue became <coughs> worse. So, so, so there. So basically, women's status was better several years ago in China in terms of college graduation, labor participation, and, uh, and also if you look at uh, you know overall uh, income level, uh, or even you know a relatively postponed for uh, marriage age for girls. But uh, these recent five years, there was a returning, um, actually be heavily related to the rising uh, um, real estate, uh, I mean, property price. So which- oh, Explain that, how, how yeah, does that which how drives does that families, work? which drive, yeah. yeah. So, so it's really, you know, when, um, when, when, let's say, when apartment became are becoming so expensive, so um, and families just have to make, uh, I guess, um, I mean, the, their decision making for 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 children's marriages will be quite different. They will tend to choose for the children earlier, the ones who are able to afford, you know, apartments and all that. Mm. So, um, so uh, the again, borrowing economic terms, the competition in marriage market became more fierce uh, and that's what I mean that's that's and also there is a male surplus in Chinese society because yeah. of gender selection happening you know again at different because levels. of the one child yes. policy yeah. yeah so if there are more men and then less women and then uh, when yeah so, so again so, so with, with the whole housing price going up and then when families are seeing oh I just have to start to arrange for my daughter's marriage so that you know so that economically I can make the best decision for her if I start the marriage selection as early as possible and then that is actually pushing pushing up women's marriage age to younger and then that in some way is actually going back but going backward in wow. terms of gender equality yeah, this yeah there's a whole literature in um you know in natural labor economics uh you know economics of family of marriage all yeah. all interlinked through actually housing price, interest rate, uh, and also level of education. I find that absolutely fascinating because it, again, it demonstrates linkages between different areas that we, you know, traditionally you may think of as quite separate, mm -hmm. but you know, as as you're demonstrating in this uh, in this discussion, um, there are sort of implications and there are unintended consequences happening. 
you know, for example, when you have, you know, rising asset prices, which you would think in general, you know, are positive. Yeah. But but in in uh, in actual fact, there there are multiple effects taking place. Yes. Yeah. Uh, actually, this whole thing, uh, I don't want to mention this, this whole um, sort of a exter external macro uh, e macroeconomic factor how such as you know housing price changes uh, and you know the, the uh, new industry uh, industrial sectors being created but with uh, you know gender preference so how this whole thing is affecting uh, gender selection and also household investment in education and then the distribution of later on uh, you know uh, uh, labor market um, you know uh, it uh, income difference in uh, in by genders and all that that's actually what my dissertation was about oh. it's a pure <laughs> uh, a mathematical model and trying to, to you know to really uh, uh, formalize the the factors relationships all right let, let's um, switch tack now and talk about artificial intelligence and robotics it's obviously a very hot topic right now and um, you know everyone's talking about it and you, you know you have I suppose from the sort of on the more sensationalist side of uh, of the discussion, you have you know people essentially raising the the red flag and saying, "Look, you know the, the robots are coming, automation is coming." You know, uh, you combine that with with uh, big data and artificial intelligence, you know, and we're looking potentially at massive disruption, uh, you know, economic as well as social. Uh, taking place around the world. What, I mean, what what what's your take on first of all on this the kind of the kind of big, mm -hmm. big uh, you know question? Are the robots coming and are they going to take over the world? Uh, <laughs> yes, they are coming. <laughs> I even brought one yesterday. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, again, you know, with all the training in economics, looking at you know the 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 trend, the clear trend uh, depicted by macro data, uh, and also you know just personally living through this fast economic development that happened in China and also still Silicon Valley being the world innovation center and driving so many things forward you know it's it's uh, so for me it's clearly that ex you know there is an exponential development in technology that's happening that's shaping our world um, and yes different parts of the world is you know developing at a different pace and different structures but it's happening so um, there so um, robots are being designed to do uh, jobs that you know that humans don't have to do anymore, or the robots can do better than humans. The jobs that's you know that that's dangerous, that's repetitive, that requires just high consistency and accuracy, you know, in in things. And uh, AI is being deployed to uh, enhance many sectors to you know extrapolate insights from data for uh, you know uh, for uh, basically um, customized designs or autonomous uh, 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 I mean uh, um, mechanical uh, uh, structures and all that so all those of course will replace certain type of jobs however um, this is this has been the same of what happened in all the previous uh, industrial revolutions before uh, each time when there are major changes in how humans actually use tools or machines to um, you know as our main way of, uh, of uh, you know uh, production um, in, in every sector and then 
and th th there were just a lot of new jobs be, you know being invented and then old jobs are you know more labor intensive ones are gone so um yeah so for me i think it's it's m so what really matters for me is really now this is a trend ai and ro robots are automating and changing so many existing uh, jobs so the right questions to, to, to ask is actually, so what will be the jobs in the future five, 10, and 15 years? And then how to prepare our children today for the upcoming future jobs when they graduate? At the same time, what programs has to be in existence, such as you know tax subsidies to companies and new training programs, reskilling programs, all that, to help the groups, the adult groups, that's affected because they will be the mm. the household, you know, heads, the, the the fathers and mothers that uh, that's now really just uplifting our our society, right? As the, the backbones of the society yeah. being affected. So yeah, so that's a way that entrepreneurs and policymakers should work together and then come up with solutions together. No, I I, I agree with you, and again, I don't I don't want to sound like a uh, like a luddite in the in in the sense that I I'm. Uh, I'm convinced this is a trend that that not only is coming but is in many ways actually here. I mean, why my my, uh, my my family in Cyprus, there the the business is is uh, is, is in biochemical mm -hmm. and medical uh, laboratories, mm -hmm. uh, and you know I've I've you know I've seen um, you know robotic auto analyzers yeah. um, that can you know uh, run thousands of tests. Mm -hmm. In you know, in a matter of, of of hours that that in the past would have required, you know, armies of lab technicians and you know, and assistants to to, to carry out. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I guess where and, and again, I'm sure that that in every in every wave of of technological disruption and innovation, there were people that were saying, yeah, well, this time it's different. You know, I, I think where you know where I I may uh, not. Not quite disagree with you, but where I would differentiate my my views is that I think that there is something qualitatively different about the the you know robotics married to AI in that it's yes it's repetitive and and, and you know maybe boring tasks that are that are being uh, you know replaced but but it's moving up that value curve mm -hmm. and you know and and very often they, these are highly skilled I mean if I take again mm -hmm. working in a in a medical um, uh, laboratory. I mean, you know, these these are yeah. They, it may be technicians' jobs that are being you know uh, automated, but these were highly skilled jobs, yeah. highly desirable yeah. in in many respects. Mm -hmm. And and I think what what I what I worry a little bit about is um, that the the exuberance and enthusiasm of you know of of Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. um, it masks some of the difficult decisions that that we may have to confront as as a society, mm -hmm. and one of those may be that it may not be easy or possible to reskill mm -hmm. everyone, and it may or and we may not invent enough new jobs mm -hmm. of the same level and the same quality mm -hmm. to 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 satisfy people's aspirations. I don't know if you have any any thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, um, it's definitely. I mean, uh, I can see the your you know your philosophical uh, frame there, and then I actually agree with with the c you know the concern that's that's embedded there, which is um, so the the fast development of, of AI and and robotics now 
if it's different than before, is really bec uh, of its uh, impact um, uh, impact size. It's fundamentally revolutionizing how things were done before. It's it, you know it, it so basically if those technology can really bring in let's say five x or ten x of productivity improvement, then you know, mass replacement of human workers will happen across all industries, and then there will, be, you know, then the question for us that would be almost like a, a you know, extens uh, I mean, existential crisis for humans, which is really if robots are doing our jobs, what makes human human, and what should what are we left to do, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, so yeah, so so I want to uh, respond to this question actually from that angle as well. I think the. Um, I think it's very important to actually not just for mind exercise, but really develop together um, the 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 thought frame work for you know to 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 really understand how to think this about this question of what makes humans human when robots are doing everything, right? So basically. Mm -hmm. There, there can be different scenarios for us, right? Because um, yeah. I know we both actually uh, love sci-fi, right? We we yep, like uh, some movies. So <laughs> so there are different uh, sci-fi-ish futures. If we just you know if we just wildly imagine in the future, it can be something like Matrix, right? So machines are producing everything and also but controlled everything. They're farming human something, right? Mind or you know in some way that so we're enslaved by machines. But other scenarios might be the one depicted in, you know, in, in the animation uh, Wally, that uh, humans are, um, you know, are, are served by robots and then don't have to do anything. So all became, you know, like very overweight and that, you know, and then yeah, they have difficulty walking. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, but, but, but yeah. are those the features we want? Actually, probably, you know, n neither of these features yeah. is what we want. So, yeah. So I think w w what's very important is really today together, you know, through the, the, the you know, uh, good dialogues to, to really face this philosophical challenge of machines are being designed by ourselves, driven by capital market mechanism of profit, you know, for profit, right? Profit uh, oriented, profit driven, efficiency driven. So are designed by us to, and then replacement will happen. And then humans are actually will be further stratified into classes than just income classes, but actually the classes into actually who are able to keep having a job in the future when there's a machine, who are able to work with machines, work on machines, work with machines and then not controlled by machines. So if we are able to think through those questions with a human-centric uh, approach um, so that we together can really, I think, define the, the, this, you know, the future in social institution that we want to have for you know, that everyone can continuously enjoy a you know, prosperous life there. So in that future, work is a right. Well, I mean, I just realized, you know, work is a right in some way is what, uh, you know, the, the old utopia, you know, like uh, uh, people w would, you know, want to imagine for one day as well, right? So then, of course, it will be a matter of uh, what is a work, how to define work, right? Really, it's mm. curiosity, I mean, it's creativity-driven, curiosity-driven. It will be, you know, it will be heavily in service industries and then everyone is, uh, you know, doing some design work and then exemplifying what, what's in their mind and then... Um, um, uh, I mean, diversities in everything, yep. uh, or 
handcraft will be really will really have the highest value in terms of compared to machine-made products. So a, a, a very different economic system will be uh, designed in some way based on philosophical ideas, uh, um, you know, uh, developed with a good answer to the question of what makes human human in that society. And then the whole institution, right, yeah. can be designed to drive toward there. So I think that's the questions. And then after that, right, the, the uh, education policymakers, educators, uh, even, you know, uh, curriculum designers and uh, ad tech product companies, we then can follow this bigger uh, philosophical and design principle yeah. to develop. I mean, our, our to, to, to your knowledge, Yao, is, is anyone having that discussion? I mean, so it, are folks in Silicon Valley, you know, who are you know, designing these, these products, who are, you know, uh, writing the, the, the algorithms and the pro I mean, are they, are they having these discussions? Because my, my concern is that they're not. I mean, in, in, the, in the rush to, you know, to, to produce the next, you know, the next uh, blockbuster mm -hmm. uh, product in the rush to sort of dominate, you know, the, the space. Because, yeah, the, 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 the interesting thing about, you know, Silicon Valley or about the whole tech scene, at least from, from my vantage point, is, yes, it's very entrepreneurial, but then it's also, I mean, it, it's, it's also winner-takes-all culture. It's produced, you know, an inordinate amount of, of quasi-monopolies. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether it's, you know, Microsoft in in uh, in uh, operating systems and 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 uh, 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 productivity software, then Google in search. Mm -hmm. Now you have you know Facebook in, in social media. I mean, th these are you know for for such an entrepreneurial kind of hotbed, yeah. it's produced an awful mm -hmm. you know lot of of yeah. you know mo monopolies. Uh -huh. And then and so I'm wondering if if mm -hmm. um, you know enough thinking is going into this mm -hmm. or 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 not. Yeah, um, I think we can hold a, a positive hope on this, and then, yeah. um, um, you know, uh, thankfully, uh, it's not that everyone is uh, only you know one-dimensionally driven by profit or efficiency or speed and scalability, and yeah. then you know just become bigger and bigger, become the you know the winner-take-all platform. Um, so we, you know, thankfully we do have um, we do have um, um, thinkers and different you know uh, stakeholders. Um, sharing concerns on this, and then there are uh, there are you know uh, platforms or or conferences or you know uh, uh, gatherings um, of uh, the, the you know the the basically people from different uh, uh, sectors uh, get together to to form ideas. So such as the 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 World Economic Forum that uh, I'm part of. Um, I was very fortunate to be recognized as a 2016 Young Global Leader for that. And then after that, I was uh, tasked to be a, a Global Future Council on AI and Robotics. Um, and and uh, one of the main mission for this council is really, you know, with people from big uh, you know big corporations such as you know Infosys CEO former you know White House mm -hmm. CTO and then there were you know startup uh, people like me and uh, you know emotional AI uh, company uh, and there are also uh, of course scholars and then um, policymakers um, um, from um, many regions so uh, we we started to, to really share the concerns that we've seen with you know happened reviewed identified and then to discuss what can be the solutions what needs to be done at the policy making level or for 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 uh for nation states uh, in their strategy making 
and uh, for um, you know for for the academic world when they're educating engineers and also you know for us um, the the Silicon Valley innovators who are just driving new things to happen. So uh, once you know, I mean, so when concerns are shared in some way we're forming like a, a consortium to remind each other the importance of things you know what we just discussed um, um, so for example um, some of the, the suggestion that our you know uh, colleagues are taking actions upon is is to form uh, you know like a new international bodies uh, uh, you know as part of uh, the you know a part of the UN the or the WEF um, and start to really have regular meetings and then or publish the you know like AI and happiness index, AI and human development index, or even just looking uh, you know looking at and define what do we mean by uh, by you know saying or you know by uh, having a human centric approach in you know yeah. in developing the next round of technology and then how to think about this. So um, yeah, so I mean, so once those conversations start happen. That uh, mm -hmm. people from different sectors can, you know, can can use as references. Actually, one example is, um, I mean, yeah, I think I can share this uh, um, to our audience as well. So, in um, uh, uh, later time in April, so a group of, uh, including Roboterra, so a group of uh, uh, actually uh, um, us, you know, working in uh, both AI and robotics and also education. So, or, or the learning space in general, you know, the bigger picture. So, uh, we've been talking of really, you know, so so get all the stakeholders together to further look at learning, you know, lifelong learning, uh, not just K-12, pre-K, K-12, college, but also on career development, on the job development, job fulfillment, what does it mean of fulfillment and happiness, and then what's happening on the brain uh, side, and then what are the new technologies that can monitor, develop, and even start to have better future uh, human you know, or you know, a brain and computer interface and all that, and what's the impact for today's yeah. learning uh, design? So yeah, so basically, we're you know, uh, we start to to think how to how to really share insights uh, to to um, to help each other yeah. um, prepare for you know to avoid for the future issues. Oh, that, that's I mean that's really interesting. I, th I think what you know we'd love to sort of uh, circle back uh, and have another conversation with you once some of these ideas become become more concrete and just to sort of watch watch this space if 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 you will a little bit more closely mm -hmm. um let's let's talk a little bit about uh uh ai and and robotics and education i mean what what's what are your ideas when what was what what's the big idea behind roboterra and where where do you see the space going yes um so um education is one of the most important sector for all countries and all societies and then you know worldwide we're seeing countries are putting on average four to five percent of their gdps into education so it's a large sector huge um yep. yes and um, um and um however you know uh, education or school systems are are used for you know uh, i mean uh for, for for several purposes for you know for of course for for developing quality labor force, workforce for the, you know, for, for national development, for social cohesion and all that. So there are those, um, you know, uh, traditional values that we place for education. But, uh, um, but uh, how teachers are trained, how uh, you know, curriculums are developed, many things, how things are done in education um, were sort of like with, with the, the old 
you know, uh, fashioned way, which were really, I mean, so basically, if we look at the, the, the whole schooling system today worldwide, um, the systems of our school systems today are mainly from the post, you know, World War II era, when the whole world is entering into, was entering into a new, uh, you know, fast economic development, uh, as, you know, the later stage of the, you know, in industry revolution, we need a lot of workers to work at the factories, being able to collaborate with each other along the, you know, the, the production The assembly lines. line, yeah. Yeah, assembly lines. <coughs> so that's how our school systems were designed for that. But in the, you know, in the past 20 years, PCs are developing, internets, internets are coming to everyone's life. Uh, and then the past 10 years, you know, the, I, the first iPhone was introduced to today's 10 years, and then mobile apps are developing. So um, technology is, is, is revamping every way of how human, humans are, you know, consuming knowledge, and uh, uh, which is, a, you know, essential part of, uh, of the, the learning that's happening in school system as well. So, yeah, so, so looking at how technology is changing everything, and especially schools, we know that better learning needs individualized, I mean, it will be individualized um, um, learning. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what technology can further improve individualized learning, it will, you know, so we'll need data, and data can be uh, collected and, and you know, uh, formed through, uh, for example, a software platform where it captures student learning process and behavior so that more individualized feedbacks can be produced. So basically, so basically, today's school systems, there were issues, and the new technologies are changing in different ways, but uh, the e effective learning can happen mm. only upon individualized learning. And uh, individualized learning needs better data uh, about process. Yep. Uh, and all these can be impro greatly improved by um, by better designs, uh, you know, using um, technology such as you know AI and you know the machine learning algorithms on yep. uh, you know on both the the, the cloud uh, uh, you know learning softwares or hardware such as uh, robotic solutions. So for Robotera, that's the, in, I mean, th so that's really the the um, where the the tech innovations that were, were you know were. were um, thriving to have is really looking at uh, how the you know the, the sensory technology the um, the the mechanical structures and then uh, the you know the 3d rendering all these uh, together how that can help student have more engaged and fun learning on individual level with better individualized uh, feedbacks yeah and um, what, what I found interesting I mean in look, looking at your um, at, at, at some of the material that that you uh, you shared with me is you know is is you combine the the, the sort of the the activity mm -hmm. which is okay how do I you know construct or how do I assemble and program uh, a robot mm -hmm. with knowledge about the the underlying science mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. I, and I thought that was that was neat that it, you know this is not about you know just just teaching programming, but it's also about bringing some, you know, scientific concepts to life. Um, thank you for saying that. Yeah, we, uh, we actually are actively um, you know, developing that, uh, that design approach in really looking at, I mean, first we look at learning as a process. So the robots, you know, the, in, our, uh, in our design is not the end goal. Ro building a robot is really the process that can organically connect students, um, you know, time spent on 
all the different STEM fields, right? To the mathematical modeling, the spatial thinking, the you know, understanding of some um, you know uh, physics or kinetic uh, knowledge that they learned from a physics class, and then even using um, you know, for example, just critical thinking skill sets in their writing and also speech making classes to work in teams and then co-design um, solutions to finish the 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 robotic building tasks that's given to them, so that along the way students can develop skills such as coding such as uh, geometry and then physics and then uh, you know engineering and all that so um, so that's where actually I mean even in the product development uh, uh, process of thinking learning as a process w you know we also benefit a lot of the many uh, you know d developments in yeah, um, in uh, learning science and technology as well uh, that's, that's that's terrific, and and again, I'm, I'd be curious, you know, to uh, talk to you again at, at at some point in the future, just to 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 see what insights you're gleaning uh, about, you know, uh, how effective learning takes place from the you know uh, the 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 Roboterra uh, experience. Yeah. Yes. Um, so far, you know, having worked with more than 700 schools in more than 30 countries, we're definitely seeing uh, this clear trend that more schools are actively exploring hands-on learning, project-based learning. So, you know, so robotics is just one way. There are many different ways uh, that a school and teachers can do to engage their students in in uh, more effective and fun learning. And then we we um, are very dedicated to be part of this whole um, global phenomena and uh, uh, development in, in education. Great. Well, Yao, we're coming up to our, our time, and so I, I want to I wanna end with by asking you the, the question that we ask all uh, guests on, on, the, on the Wise Words, and that is if you had one area, if you had to pick one area of knowledge uh, or one uh, skill set that you want everybody in the world or you would you believe that everyone in the world should acquire what would that be one word play play interesting humans have to know how to play so that we can stay we can really be able to preserve this precious human spirit in us which is curiosity as long as we can stay excessively curious um, we together or one of us or together will come up with solutions to any future challenges we're going to have. That's a deep belief, and that's why I do my work. And maybe that's the answer to the earlier question. You know, Let the robots do the work. Maybe we can construct societies around play. You spoke out my ambition, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Yao Zhang, yeah. thank you for your wise words. Thank you. If you're enjoying the Wise Words podcast and want to find out more about our guests and their work, as well as discover what else we do at Wise, you can visit us at www.wise-qatar.org backslash wise-words. And if you want to continue the discussion, compliment or critique us, you can find us on Twitter at wise underscore tweets or at wise underscore CEO, hashtag wisepod. We would also appreciate reviews on iTunes because it helps other people find us.